This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, November 29th, 2023 edition. I'm Justin Klein, and it is Wednesday, so I am joined by Luke Guerrero today. Thanks for being here again, Luke. Happy to be here with everyone. And today, we are going to do our best to help all of our listeners take that next step in their journey in financial, to, the, to financial freedom. It's a journey for everybody, even ourselves. It, you have to consistently learn. And there's a lot of noise out there, a lot of data. And our job is to try to give you some perspective and useful data. What matters, not what catches headlines and what gets people to click and pay attention to. It's about what you can use to make better decisions with your money. Now, we're going to talk about the market performance today. We're going to run down some show topics. But as always, we're going to hit our first caller question now. Hello, Steve or Justin. It is Marco from Switzerland. I wanted to ask you about DoorDash, ticker symbol Dash, D-A-S-H. And I would like to know if you have any comments on what the insiders are doing, are they selling, are they buying, and so on. How do you see this uh, looking forward in the next one to two years? Thank you in advance and great show. All right. Thank you. Uh, the This is DoorDash, founded in 2013, so it's about a decade old. And this is the company that connects people that want their food delivered straight to their door with those that are willing to go pick it up and, and, and bring it to them. And for years, this had been a name that was losing money consistently. And this year, it's expected to actually earn money. Now, last quarter, it lost 19 cents. Revenue growth is slowing from kind of mid 30% range back early last year to last quarter 27%, so into the high 20% range. So growth is slowing a bit, uh, but they're trending towards profitability. Analysts are expecting profits this year and next year for the first time. So the question is, Luke, is that is this growth name finally turning the corner and turning into a truly profitable business? From what I'm seeing, it's making good progress there. It certainly is making good progress. Over the past three years, its cash flow is up, which is good. Its profitability, like you said, is moving towards positive. Its valuations are more reasonable than they've been in probably the past four or five years. I think the biggest issue for me in companies like DoorDash is really around the regulatory uncertainty. I know there's in the past three, four or five years been a lot of pushback on how they classify workers, what that means for corporate taxes. And, and there's, there's just a lot of uncertainty there that even if they get too positive, like they may pretty soon, like you said, they're supposed to make some money this year, but who knows, uh, you know, given some recent downgrades, um, it, it could be uncertain what their path forward looks like, uh, especially in some big states like California and New York. Yeah, and, and in today's world where there's a lot of strikes across many different industries, 
I think those in the ride-sharing industry, think Uber as well as uh, something like DoorDash, uh, are certainly going to, I think, get more scrutinized. Like their pay is going to get more scrutinized. And there's kind of this still gray area that a lot of states are still trying to figure out how to classify these workers. Are they employees? Are they 1099? Is it a completely new thing? And I know California has, uh, they passed something, we passed something here recently, correct? Yeah, I think that's two years ago, maybe. Yeah, two years ago. Um, but obviously that's going to likely spread to other states and that makes that, uh, makes that complex uh, to navigate that across the, the country. Uh, now, going back to the numbers here, free cash flow, 878 million, trailing 12 months on a enterprise value of 33 billion. That's about a free cash flow yield somewhere in the neighborhood of what, 3% or so? Uh, not amazing. But it's a growth name, but growth is slowing. So that's what worries me here is that uh, if this is this is a cyclical name, I know you have we haven't seen it because we haven't gone into a recession. But how many people, if they're losing uh, their job, they're 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 uh, less inclined to go and get their food delivered to them. They might actually get in their car and go get it or make it themselves. Uh, I, I, that's my, my thing here is that if the economy continues to soften, the job market continues to soften, that that growth will continue to slow. So the technicals are fine. I think the fundamentals are okay. I wouldn't say it's uh, drastically overvalued or undervalued, um, but I worry about that uh, economic backdrop going into next year. All right. We have a lot of ground to cover for the next 40 minutes. And time permitting, we're going to touch on everything we have planned. But we usually don't, but we're going to do our best. Our main focus point is in regards to employee stock options. And this is a very popular way for people, especially in the tech industry, to get compensated above and beyond their normal salary. So we're going to talk about employee stock options and tax and investing in options. Uh, And we're also going to touch on a few other things. One is in regards to a Supreme Court potential ruling that could affect the SEC and investor protection around fraud within the investment world. So we're going to look at that. Also, what parallels are there between today's MAG-7? You know, that's kind of the new, the new term, instead of FANG, it's the MAG-7. And what parallels are we seeing with dot-com bubble 1.0 and the Nifty 50 of the 1970s? And then lastly, growth stocks or tech stocks, excuse me, are starting to right size their businesses for their labor needs uh, overhired during the pandemic. And they're starting to kind of trim away at cost. So we're going to look at the way they've been able to improve their businesses, even though growth hasn't really been there uh, on the top line as much as most had hoped. All right. So that's on the that's what's on the docket for us. We're also going to get to some voice bank questions. One is in regards to earnings forecast and CNH Industries. Now, Luke, we had a positive day for most of the day, but we sold off late in the day and we closed down slightly. So, kind of a, a mixed bag in the markets today. 
Yeah, certainly a mixed bag. Big tech was was largely weaker. The Russell 2000, which measures U.S. small caps, at one point was up over 1%. It closed at just up 60 basis points, which is still some pretty good gains after the recent drawdown. I think what's really going on here is there's pretty much just a catalyst vacuum at the moment. PCEs coming in on Thursday, which is something that certainly people are going to be looking at. But there doesn't seem to be a lot that's going to push uh, either the bear or the bull narrative to make big market moves, especially given the the degree to which there was a rally in November. Yeah, we're, we're overbought. This is kind of standard consolidation action in a little bit of rally, a little bit of sell-off. At the end, you don't really go very far. There's obviously rotation underneath the hood. We've seen that in the gold market over the past week or so. You're starting to see that uh, surge. And we also have the OPEC meeting tomorrow. That will certainly move the oil markets. Like you said, we have that PCE number coming in as well as uh, the personal income and spending figure. That will be something of note. Pending home sales will also come out tomorrow. So a lot of market moving data tomorrow, but not today. And that's why I think you, you, didn't, uh, you didn't go very far. Still in general, not having a credit event. So it's hard to have a major sell-off in equities uh, when you see the credit markets hanging in there. So uh, overall, uh, a pause day uh, before we get probably some sort of catalyst tomorrow that will drive uh, probably a much bigger move than, you know, marginally higher or lower. All right. Now, as we head into a break, we remind you to check out our new Invest Talk Sector Spotlight series. It is free and it's available now over on YouTube. And Luke and I touch on the material sector. We touch on... Everything from metals to chemicals, construction materials, and more. We look at global events, supply chain disruptions, technological advancements that will impact this sector overall. So head over to our YouTube channel and check out the Invest Talk Sector Spotlight Series. And now the phone lines are open, waiting for your questions at 888 Chart. When listener questions are played on the Invest Talk podcast, how do you guys determine a value stock? The caller voices are amplified many thousands of times. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan and BAC. How do you see this uh, looking forward? I'm 25 years old and have a question about retirement funds. And the unbiased answers from Justin Klein. That's why it's trading so cheap because there's a lot of regulatory risk. And Steve Beasley. I, I kind of like it here. If I was going to buy Tyson Food, this is where I'd buy it. Benefit the entire Invest Talk community. Thank you for what you guys do. That's why 24 7, rain or shine, no matter how simple or how complex, your questions make a difference. Symbol BKE, what's your outlook? And Invest Talk is made better by the power of you. So don't forget to call 888 99CHART. Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Hey, Justin or Luke. This is Tyler from Kansas City. First off, want to give a late welcome to Luke if you're in today. I love hearing your perspective along with uh, Justin's. My question today has to do with earnings forecast. I have a list of maybe 30 to 40 
stocks that have alerts at prices I find them interesting at. When the alert goes off, I reconfirm that I'm still interested in these names and then sell puts or go ahead and buy into the names if I don't think they'll go in any lower. Over the years, I noticed that a decent percentage of these alerts happen when an earnings or revenue forecast gets a revision to the downside. All my information sources seem to be late by, by one to three days. This gets frustrating when I take a position just to realize that forecasts have been lowered to a point that I would have lowered my target buy-in price. Who have you found to be the best original sources that indicate these revisions? And do you register to anyone specific for these type of forecasted earnings and or revenue alerts? Thank you, guys. I'll be listening on the podcast. Well, we use FactSet. That is somewhat of an industry standard. There are there are others, but you know they they aggregate the total uh, earnings projections for analysts, and I believe they update those daily, right, Luke? They do. So I think that's one of the problems for retail investors. It's one of the unfortunate problems is that there's some barriers to entry to competing with some of the institutions, and that's really the cost of the tools. So FactSet is tens of thousands of dollars a year. Bloomberg is probably close to $30,000 a year now. So a lot of people don't really have the access that people that are, you know, that work in those institutions or or like ourselves have that help us to keep track of those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are, I think, cheaper tools that will, those tools will kind of subscribe to FactSet or other data sources and get little bits and pieces. Um, So you could probably find, uh, ones out there. I know something like uh, IBD, Investor Business Daily. They uh, they get uh, the fact set earnings data, and you'll get kind of an average, but you kind of won't see it broken out. Um, so that's you'll see kind of the average for this year, next year. They will get those. So there are some pieces there that are that are cheaper, um, but you're not getting the full picture. You're just getting kind of the aggregate total. All right. So that was about the earnings forecast. All right, let's pivot over and touch a bit on our main focus point, and that is about employee stock options. And in the 90s, employee stock options were the dominant form of equity compensation. And a lot of people received them, even rank-and-file employees, secretaries, and and, and low-level workers. Yeah, I remember when I was in my younger days, Qualcomm down in San Diego. We had a lot of clients down in San Diego, and some of them were Qualcomm employees. And there were secretaries, literally secretaries, that were millionaires because of Qualcomm stock during the first talk, uh, tech bubble. And many would come in, talk to us, and we'd say, you need to diversify, et cetera. And many did not, and their millions turned into you know a couple hundred thousand. So there's always some risk there. Um, but... After some regulatory changes in 2006, that basically made these stock options expenses, where before they weren't counted as expenses. Um, so the, the shift has moved to restricted stocks and other types of uh, equity compensation. And that continues to grow in popul- popularity, especially in the tech world. So after the break, we're going to touch on the two main types of employee stock options and what the tax implications can be uh, if you ever are running into this. All right, we're moving into a break. Still to come, I'll finish my, our focus point, but for now, the phone lines are open. 
Give us a call now at 888-99-CHART. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Now, before the break, I talked a bit about how the 2006 accounting rule changes change the way companies count stock options as an expense and therefore equity compensation changed a bit. And they are now typically either restricted stock units, also known as RSOs, or performance shares. And we're going to talk a bit about what the way to think about uh, stock options. And uh, they're pretty simple. They're, they're just options in general, right? You're, you're, they do vest typically over a number of years. Typically four years is common. Sometimes they do vest all at once, meaning say after a year you get all the stock options you were granted. Uh, and then there's an exercise window. The most common length of time between an option grant and an exercise and the exercise window is 10 years. So a lot of times employees will come up on these basically expiration of the options and they have to decide whether it makes sense, whether the stock is in the money or not. That's just a term that's saying, okay, the strike price is X, say it's $10. Is the stock uh, price above that or below it? If it's above it, it's in the money. If it's below it, it's out of the money. Okay. And then it's the tax question. What is the tax implication of this? Now, non-qualified stock options basically are ones where you exercise it and the gain that you get on it is treated as ordinary income tax. And a lot of people do what is called a cashless exercise, meaning they exercise enough to where they don't have to put any money out, meaning they sell enough to pay for the, the shares and the tax uh, bill and the rest is kind of gravy there, okay? And then the incentive stock options are a bit more complex, ISOs. And this is where, if, as long as you hold it or you've held the options for more than two years beyond the grant date and you hold the underlying stock for more than a year, you can get long-term capital gains. It's not at your ordinary income tax rate. You get that nice benefit of the long-term capital gains. But that leaves you open to risk, right, Luke? If you exercise your options, you can gain money over that next year, or you can lose a lot of money. So there's certainly a diversification aspect that must be appreciated. Yeah, no, that's right. And I think the main point here, and this is something that, that both of us have said before to caller questions, that's you have to be careful about having too much of the stock of the company for which you work because you have too many eggs in one basket. You don't want to have to trust the performance of one company for your financial future. That's the point of diversification. So if you are the type of person who is getting these stock options, it's important to know the risks you're taking on and it's important to find ways to diversify away that risk. Yeah, and what percentage of your overall assets are in this particular stock? Is it 5%, 10%, is it 50%? There's plenty of people, think of Enron. There were a lot of people who they kept all of their 
retirement savings in Enron because they thought the company was so great and the performance was so great. But as we've seen, Luke, throughout history, no tree grows at the sky. And there is always risk that that company uh, can turn on hard times, no matter how great it looks today. Okay. Um, and so you you have to understand the tax implications, which are certainly important. You probably want to talk to a CPA or financial advisor. So that, that's that's number one. They're, they're, they're fairly straightforward, so it's not too complex. I deal with this with clients regularly uh, that have these uh, have these ISOs. Um, and typically, I say you want to hold it to that full full one year. But the economic backdrop have to, has to look good. They need to have clean balance sheets. Uh, the trend in the stock probably needs to be up um, and, and not subject to some year-long downtrend. Uh, because that's probably the, tr- the case over the next year. If it's in a downtrend now over the next year, it's probably likely also to be in a downtrend. Okay. Um, so diversification is important, but taxes are equally important as well. All right. Let's pivot over and keep things moving to and go to our Invest Talk Voice Bank. This one came in earlier at 888.99 chart. Hi, Steve and Justin. I was wondering what you guys think of ticker symbol CNHI. It's an agricultural industrial company, and I feel like it's a really good value right now. I was listening to podcasts where the CEO was talking about how it's so cheap right now because they have to delist in Europe, so all the European mutual funds have to sell their shares, which is making that artificially low. So I was thinking of picking this up for a long-term hold, and I just wanted your opinion. Again, the ticker symbol is CNHI. Thanks a lot. Well, that is interesting. Yeah, one of those unique events that uh, for, are for sellers, and that can sometimes lead to opportunity. CNHI is a company out of, where is this out of? UK. UK, there we go. And they are the global manufacturer of heavy machinery, mainly in the agricultural and construction equipment space. Uh, Case IH is uh, a very recognized brand within the, uh, the farming world. And $14 billion market cap. Are you seeing anything, Luke, on your end that's making you like this name? Not seeing anything that's making me like it in particular. I would be weary about trusting the words of a CEO for why his stock performance isn't doing too well. I would, I yeah. would like to point well, that out. Yeah, I mean, my issue is really the debt. Um, about twenty-two billion dollars in that in that debt on a fourteen billion dollar market cap, negative free cash flow. I think that's the bigger reason. So I'm passing on it. I would say so. All too. right, we're heading to a break. So give me a call at eight eight ninety nine chart. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in, patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. 
So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. This is Invest Talk, the radio program and podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom. You may be a regular listener. You may even have called a few times. But if you've never called, what are you waiting for? The phone lines are open, and Steve and Justin would love to hear your questions right now. Call 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Jordan in Dana Point. Let's talk about Qualcomm. Hey, Justin. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. The owner looking to buy it. Excellent. Um, yeah, I own it, and I'm just wondering if it is a hold or a sell. Well, we own Qualcomm. We are holding it. Um, and I think really the best news uh, was, came out today that I saw. And that's in regards to Apple discontinuing its custom 5G modem development. So one of the biggest worries with the the with Qualcomm really is that Apple was trying to do what they did to the the CPU world um, in smartphones, which is develop their own, uh, and that's helped improve Apple's margins. They can control the supply chain, uh, and they're less reliant on these outside suppliers. And obviously, Qualcomm won a big settlement. Was that two thousand? I want to say nineteen. Was it when they had that settlement? Yeah, 2019. And that was a big win for Qualcomm. And that, that was when kind of Apple kicked off. They bought Intel's smartphone modem division and tried to basically replicate what Qualcomm was doing without infringing, infringing on their patents. But it doesn't look like they're going to be able to do it. So we still like Qualcomm. I think it's uh, still relatively cheap. And that overhang potential of Apple diversifying, uh, I think, is, isn't is there. Um, so, yeah, uh, we like it. Any, anything to add, Luke? No, nothing to add. I think you hit on the main point, which is really one of its big competitors going forward was going to be Apple itself, and it seems like that's not going to be the case. Yeah. Thanks for the call. Now, the next Invest Talk, we'll look at the story set up by this headline. Bond ladder ETFs can help investors climb higher. That story tomorrow, but now let's pivot to Talk Voice Bank, and then we'll hit uh, talk. Hey, uh, Steve and Justin. This is Taylor out of uh, Arizona. I've called a few times. Uh, you guys are great answering questions. So I want to know what you guys think about this case against the SEC that's headed to the Supreme Court. I'm hearing that uh, 
this could uh, basically challenge the legitimacy of our modern federal government. And uh, I'd like to know how that might impact the stock market, the SEC, all of our investments, 401ks, all that stuff in general. So I know it's kind of a broad question. Uh, might take some research, but I'll look forward to your answer on the podcast. Thanks, guys. Okay, okay that's one of the weirdest things that's ever happened on this show. Uh, that was not planned. But that's exactly what we were going to talk about next. So I know, Luke, you've been following this, so why don't you talk I was going to say, yeah, that's an excellent question because it leads <laughs> into our second focus point, which is about the Supreme Court hearing a case against the SEC, which could change how it conducts in-house. So that means without jury enforcement, enforcing of investor protection laws. Now, Justin, this comes in the wake of some additional cases that have kind of chipped away at the administrative state and the administrative powers. But I think this one is is particularly interesting because if you think about the split in which the SEC enforces its cases, it's about 50-50 a jury trial versus an in-house trial. Okay. And this is trying to say that those in-house trials are not are are violating the constitutional rights of anyone who's is being sued by the SEC, whether that's an individual or a, uh, a corporation. Yeah, that's correct. And this really came about because of a hedge fund manager in particular who was subject to one of these in-house trials and was barred from the securities industry. And so his appeal uh, went through the Fifth Circuit, and the Fifth Circuit agreed that this uh, conduct of the SEC was working too externally from the federal government and and, and – uh, encroaching on congressional powers and violating the right to a jury trial. And so with this Fifth Circuit decision, the Supreme Court is now set to hear in the coming months and decide whether or not one of the primary enforcement mechanisms of the SEC is is legal, is constitutional. And really what that means for individual investors is not just that some of these fraudulent or uh, potentially fraudulent activities uh, will be will be heard, but really the speed at which they're heard as well. And so this case does have a lot to do with how safe financial markets are going to be going forward. Now, is this basically saying that if they rule that this is unconstitutional, it's going to make the SEC give the whoever's being sued, the option of having a jury trial or an in-house judge, correct? Yeah, that that is correct. So I think the, the issue here is the forcing and the bringing of a, a, a judge in-house, which the SEC actually had been chastised for their practice in 2017 or 2018, and they had to make some changes there. So really this goes to the heart of whether or not this a uh, body that actually can't put anyone in jail. We should all remember that. The SEC, all they can do is, is order fines. Um, it's subject to the same uh, protections, constitutional protect- protections that a criminal trial would be. Yeah, and, and this kind of hits back to the political environment that we're in, which is whoever is in charge of government at that time, the other side is going to highly scrutinize how they conduct their their business or their regulatory business and you know this is not just the first time not the first agency that the conservative groups have kind of hit back at um you're talking about environmental protection agencies uh, workplace safety 
uh, as well as uh, the energy industry as well. So it's it's a pretty interesting time to see how this all settles out. Um, you know, I think the big question is: Does that jury, the right to a jury, does that apply to every industry? Do you think it should apply to every industry? Well, see, that's my thinking as well. And of course, neither of us is a constitutional scholar, at least last time yeah. I checked. But but the SEC is a civil enforcement body, yeah. right? Like it's an independent civil enforcement body that is not the same as uh, a criminal trial. So mm-hmm. I think from a from a broader perspective, the decision they make is going to be more interesting on, on how the Seventh Amendment applies uh, to any type of enforcement agency, keeping in mind that this is also this this ruling will occur around the same time as as a decision will be made about a lawsuit against the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau's funding structure and whether or not that conforms with the Constitution, which could overturn a decade old precedent that helps federal agencies defend regulatory actions in court. Yeah, and I think that's uh, the big question here: is you know, regulatory issues are complex. Right, you're talking about uh, industries that juries don't really know much about, right? Um, and it, I feel like it'd be very difficult to really get a, a jury that can grasp the full scope of uh, these regulatory issues uh, and and come out on the fair side uh, consistently compared to you know your standard you know uh, theft or murder trial. Right. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if this passes and what type of impact that will have on regulatory bodies, not just the SEC, but across the economy. All right. Let's swing back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank. It never closes. We invite your finance and investment questions 24 7 on 888 chart. Hi. My name is Donald. I'm from Hawaii. I have a, a suggestion for the program. Um, I used to listen to a program, so that uh, one in particular, and it doesn't need to know the name of it, but they would do book reviews on uh, different financial books that have just come out. And there are two that I have in mind. One was Lynn Alden's new book, and then there's another one that I plan on getting. We're about halfway through Lynn and Lynn Alden's book. I'm finding it very educational. I was wondering if you might consider doing book reviews and, you know, just some type of uh, thing that well, would be extra work for you, but I find it would be tremendously informative and help the uh, authors. I think you would get a, a, a lot more hits on your, not that you need more work. Anyway, looking forward to, to hearing your how, how this works out for you, and uh, I will continue to listen, and I'm also looking forward to hearing Steve come back on the program. Love the addition of Luke. He, he seems to be extremely well informed and a great addition. You have a great team with Luke and Justin that seems to work really well. Anyway, thanks very much. I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thanks for the call and the kind words, and uh, we should get an update from Steve fairly soon. Uh, but on the book review side, I don't mind the idea. Uh, my issue with that is that good books, there's a lot to unpack with it and a lot to come out uh, come out uh, and discuss and uh, you know that's a, to me a, di- a little bit different of a format now Lynn Alden's book is on my list as well um, I love Lynn Alden uh, I read every one of her blogs I think she's uh, a very a very astute um, financial mind um, and her new book I believe it's called broken money yeah broken money um, so uh, definitely uh, on my list here uh, coming up 
Um, Luke, you want to do some book reviews? I actually like that idea. I think I, I talked to you about that at some point back in the day. Um, mm-hmm. But I think we're always looking for new ways to help our listeners on their financial journey. So that's a that's a good one to think about. Yeah, we do have a book section on our site, um, and maybe Luke, maybe maybe that book section's due for an update. Maybe we should uh, look at that. And that's just more book recommendations for new investors. They're kind of basic books, so if you are just getting into the investment world. There's some uh, good good ones o- over there for some classics as well as, you know, across economics and uh, and, and general finance, uh, personal finance, et cetera. So you can head over there to our website, investtalk.com. All right, now we are into the fourth quarter, deep into the fourth quarter. December is this week. It's Friday. Tomorrow is the last day of November. And we've been telling you now that this is – a new market regime. And as we head into the new, the, the new year, we're actually starting to see that new regime pick back up steam. So if you need an, a review of your personal financial situation, your portfolio, I encourage you to reach out to us at KPP Financial and schedule a free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meeting. We can assess where you're at, understand your risk that you are taking versus your risk tolerance level versus your goals, et cetera. And at KPP Financial, we practice unbiased guidance, both on and off air and parallel investing, which means you invest right alongside our clients. So I encourage you to take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meetings. Head over to investtalk.com and click on the portfolio review button in the top right corner. Now, InvestTalk has more than 57 million downloads thanks to you, and our work continues after this break. So hang on. Why do listener questions make InvestTalk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. When do I know the right time to take profits? And listeners instinctively realize that InvestTalk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hey, it's trying to reach uh, Justin, Steve, or Luke. Trying to call you guys. Happy Thanksgiving. Reaching out to you in regards to fact set research systems. That's ticker symbol F like Frank, D like dog, S. I hold this stock. I have a position in it. What I wanted to ask was, what is your analysis going forward? It hasn't really made that much money. I know it's only a two-star rated stock on Morningstar, but... I want to know what you thought about this stock. Once again, that's Fact Set Research Systems, ticker symbol FDS. Thank you, and have a great day. This is Andrew from Atlanta. All right, looking at Fact Set, we talked earlier about Fact Set and that we are a subscriber. We're also, we also hold this for one of our strategies, and it's one of those consistent secular growers, $17 billion market cap, so kind of a, a mid-cap name, and just continues to increase its profits and we feel that we just got to notice uh we won't we've got to notice they're raising our prices so you know in, in an inflationary environment they are typically able to do that and that t- pretty much goes straight to the bottom line so that's why uh their profits continue to power higher luke uh what do you, besides the tool facts set, luke what do you like about the company yeah, well, it, it goes back to something that I say frequently, which is especially in this environment with the rapid whipsaw that was rates over the past one and a half years. If you want to get financial exposure, 
get your financial exposure in what really is the skeleton of the financial system. Your fact sets, your CMEs, your 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 tools that help the financial system run that aren't going to really have that exposure um, to those long duration assets that all the banks have. So I think fact set is is a good company. I think, like you mentioned, uh, it has steady growth. That's good. They're getting more and more profitable, and and we personally know why. So, mm-hmm. so I, I like fact set. Yeah, and their five year return equity is forty four percent five year average. So. That's pretty nice. And minimal debt on their balance sheet, about $1.5 billion in debt on a $17 billion market cap, really next to nothing. So not a whole lot of leverage there, good consistent free cash flow that is on the rise. And at an all-time high. All right, this is InvestTalk. I'm Justin Klein with Luke Carrero, and we have one goal here each and every weekday, and that is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk, the radio program and podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom. You may be a regular listener. You may even have called a few times. But if you've never called, what are you waiting for? The phone lines are open, and Steve and Justin would love to hear your questions right now. Call 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve, Justin, and Luke. This is Brett from New Jersey. I had a question for you. I'm in a little bit of a pickle here. I don't know what to do. I am a dividend investor. I love getting dividends. I never use them. I always reinvest them. But I also keep a you know a large portion of cash in a money market account. So my stocks are with Fidelity, but any cash that's left in that account stays in SPAXX. It's a government money market fund. So I don't know if I should be using the interest from my money market fund to buy dividend stocks or use the dividends from my stocks to build interest in my money market fund. Uh, I hope that makes sense. I don't know which one I should be doing. I have been using the interest each month from the money market fund to buy stocks, but you know, at 5% in the money market fund, I'm thinking maybe I should go the other way around. Look forward to hearing your answer. Thank you very much. Bye. Luke, it sounds like he's getting too caught up in the minutia of those small consistent cash flows and losing track of the bigger asset allocation question, which is, how much did you have in cash? How much did you have in equities, et cetera? Right? Yeah, that, that sounds right to me. And I also want to, it's also difficult to say because not all dividend companies are the same, right? Uh, yeah. I've seen plenty of studies that show that the fourth through ninth quartile of highest dividend payers are the ones that tend to have the most successful asset prices, or rather uh, stock price increases over over longer periods of time, which makes sense because if you're not overextending yourself, then you can consistently pay that dividend and reinvest in your business. Um, overall, I think dividends are great because of what they signal, but it isn't necessarily an added benefit because it, it, the cash is coming from the company, so the, the price adjusts when the dividend is paid. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think you're right in that he's getting a little a little lost in the sauce, maybe, and yeah. and it, it comes down to what your what your philosophy is because over the long term, investing in equities outperforms holding cash. Mm-hmm. 
So if you have a long investment horizon, then you should probably be reinvesting those dividends. Yeah. If you have a short-term need for the cash and you love the way that money market funds are yielding right now, then maybe push it to money market funds. But none of it's set in stone. You can buy stocks, sell stocks, put it in the money market, take it out. Uh, it really just depends on your personal needs. And I want to go back to what you said about the fourth through ninth quartile, which is basically the dividend payers that are not high dividend payers. You're saying uh, de- that- Decile, decile. Decile, sorry, decile. So basically, the middle to low d- dividend payers are actually the better performers longer term, not the highest dividend payers, right? Uh, no, sorry, other way around. So it actually other be the yeah, it would be the sixth to the to the second. So it would be the okay. the second highest down to the sixth. The highest. middle, so the middle to the above average. It's the middle guys. The middle guys yeah. tend to do better because it's about consistency and stability in the business. If you're paying yeah. out too much money, you're not reinvesting the money. The money has to and come it, from somewhere. And it just shows you that the dogma of just dividend investing is not the way to go. Dogma in anything, I think, is bad. It's just saying, oh, I'm a dividend investor. That's the only thing that I'm investing in, and I'm focused on getting high dividends. No, what you should, focusing, what you should focus on are getting quality businesses. And a lot of them do pay dividends, and that it's typically a good sign, but it doesn't have to be a high dividend. Um, and so you're right. Getting invested, I think, over time into quality companies makes sense as opposed to keeping it uh, in that money market fund. All right, lastly, let's talk a bit about the MAG-7, the new thing. And there's uh, some interesting data here. And the trailing PE of the, uh, of the MAG-7 right now is 53. And this parallels very similarly to two other areas of, once again, dogma about the uh, – the fads of a certain time. And we obviously had Tech Bubble 1.0, and the average PE back then was around 62 at its peak. Nifty 50, which is in 1972, before the major bear market in 73, and the average PE ratio is 56. And what this is showing you is that there is a lot of growth, high growth expectations priced into many of these names. Now, Apple and Microsoft themselves, about 9 to, and 12% annually respectively so not a crazy amount but if you look under the hood of amazon mike i sorry amazon google meta obviously tesla nvidia those are kind of the rest of the mag 7 those have very very high growth expectations and i don't think those multiples are nearly justified so uh pretty interesting to kind of parallel what's happened in the past with what is happening today All right, I'm Justin Klein with Luke Guerrero. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, It's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.